The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's eight minutes after eight and time for the Forum at Eight here on AM Live on SAFM. Now, thousands of leading academics, researchers and practitioners in psychology have convened in Durban this week uh, looking at the contribution of psychology to South Africa's democracy 20 years on. Before 1994, South Africa was under the cloud of apartheid, a system which legislated and imposed racial prejudice, suppressing and oppressing the majority of black South Africans population, a traumatic experience which not only left physical scars uh, to those who were detained and unfortunately some people even died, but it also left deep-rooted emotional scars, which the question uh, we are asking, have they ever healed? When democracy finally dawned in 1994, South Africans embraced the idea of a new non-racial society. But did we move there slightly too fast? On the forum at 8 this morning, we ask, have we as South Africans dealt with the trauma of apartheid? And of course, uh, the question then also arises, is that manifesting in other ways in society today? So the lines are open as they always are during the forum at 8, 0891-104-208. You can also get in touch with us via uh, Facebook or Twitter at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo, or you can send us an SMS to 34701. Let me welcome our guest this morning. We have uh, Professor Seth Cooper, who is a psychologist and founding member of the Black Consciousness Movement. Thanks for speaking to us this morning, Professor Cooper. My pleasure, Sakina. And we also have with us uh, Professor Juan Nell, who's president of the Psychological Society of South Africa. Thanks for your time as well. Only welcome. Uh, uh, Professor Nell, if I could perhaps start with you. Um, very interesting topic uh, that, uh, you know, the conference in Durban is looking at. But what sparked this? Yes. Well, certainly if we look at um, 2014, we know that South Africa celebrates its 20th anniversary of being a constitutional democracy. And we know that that democracy is built on principles of equality, human rights, non-discrimination. But then the significance of this year is, of course, further underlined by the fact that it also marks SISA's 20th anniversary. And SISA's um, birth actually predates that of our democracy by a few months. Um, but then certainly as a, a science, a profession, um, and as a practice, we've made enormous contributions to South Africa and the lives and well-being of its diverse people. However, an opportunity like this not only gives us an opportunity to um, reflect on what we've done well and to celebrate uh, the occasion, it also gives us an opportunity to pause and to question the relevance, the contribution and the likes. And that was precisely why the theme is a time of celebration and critical reflection. Mm. And uh, talking about reflection, uh, Professor Cooper, you know, people would say, well, we went through the TRC, you know, and, and, and we've reconciled as a nation. And very often when you put forward arguments and uh, people will say it is because of apartheid that this is uh, the way it is. And people will say, you know, we are past that. It's time to move on. But have we really gone about this the right way as a nation? Well, I think the... <clears throat> different kinds of things that have been done, including the TRC, were experiments in the right direction. But whether we've gone to the extent of uh, expunging 
that blight on our consciousness is a huge uh, one and is what we're di- discussing today in this discussion. I think very clearly, uh, if we look at the strides we've made, we've actually left our people behind in many significant ways. Number one, we're not reconciled as a country. Uh, we have certain political reconciliation, if you like, but every now and then, some of the outbursts you see in Parliament, some of the uh, attacks against uh, politicians from one uh, persuasion or the other tend to throw that up in stark relief. We definitely have not reconciled in terms of the socioeconomic dispensation in this country. We have indeed had the largest uh, rise in poverty uh, in recent uh, memory. So the gaps between those who have, those who previously have had, and the vast majority of our people is getting larger. And we're seeing the outpouring of different kinds of physical uh, crimes, uh, crimes against individuals, attacks on people, the huge number of protests. These are all symptomatic of a society that's in need of really looking at itself and finding ways to change that stressful daily uh, pattern that all of us live in our society. You in the SABC studios in Auckland Park and the rest of us listening and participating in this program throughout the country. This is not a safe country. We ought to have made it safer in 20 years, but increasingly all the signs are there that it's more dangerous to live in South Africa. And the analogy with countries that are at war is very, very important to bear in mind, and we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to those statistics at our peril. And and, then you raise some very interesting points. Now, just on the score of us not being a reconciled country, we were told very on um, during the time of our um, democracy that we are a rainbow nation and, and as such that we have managed to come together as different peoples of this nation. And to some extent, you know, that was what the world embraced and I think South Africans to a large extent felt pressure to embrace that as well uh, Professor Cooper well you know there's a few things I could say about a rainbow I mean look uh, Desmond Tutu bless his uh, heart really uh, coined that phrase we're a rainbow nation and uh, it's true in some respects because we represent one of the most multicultural and most diverse societies on earth however The rainbow is a chimera. It appears, you see it, and then you don't, and it disappears. Uh, Usually, the the old myth is, uh, at the end of the rainbow, if you find the rainbow, there's a pot of gold. None of those things have applied to us. And if you look at the kinds of clamoring that we get from civil society groups, uh, almost daily, you hear some of the more prominent groups uh, in particular, Afri Forum, uh, claiming all sorts of uh, uh, <coughs> deficits in the system and, and so on. You get community-based uh, protests. Last year's statistics, uh, Sakina, the police minister's statistics uh, as at the middle 
of last year showed there were 12,399 protests uh, in our country, some 16% of which were violent. So we really uh, are in need of actualizing that rainbow in a very real way. Mm. And of course, to our listeners out there, the lines are open. You are welcome to call in 891 This morning on the Forum and Date, we are asking, have we as South Africans dealt with the trauma of apartheid? Have we looked back and said we need time to heal or did we just look forward because we were told, uh, sold these myths and said um, we shouldn't look backwards because that will just hold us further back. And what role, if any at all, can psychologists play in healing the wounds of apartheid today? Um, When you think of the past inequalities and the oppressive system of apartheid, what emotions does that evoke in you today, in 2014, in South Africa? Because often we hear people in public, and myself included, blaming apartheid for certain conditions that still remain today. Is there genuinely, you know, something tangible in that? Or are we sometimes using apartheid as a scapegoat for not being able to get over our problems. We're also joined right now by uh, Mike Muendane, motivational speaker, who is also a former member of parliament and uh, he is a member of parliament with a former member of parliament with the Pan-Africanist Congress. Thanks for coming in, Mr. Muendane. Of Azania. Of Azania. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. How are you? Very well, thanks. Mm. Thanks for joining us, by the way. And, um, of course, the question we are looking at is our past, our very traumatic and very violent past. Have we dealt with that? Uh, Well, uh, I think we're busy dealing with it, but not in an efficient way. Uh, Apartheid left with us many, many uh, ills, uh, which can generally be characterized by persecution mania. And, uh, and our mindset, I mean, mindset is not like a constitution or drawing up a constitution. You can draw up a constitution overnight. But mindset is a generational thing. It takes time. But also, be, besides time, it takes a program. You cannot rely on time because time does nothing to us. Time never heals. It is just there for us to use. So it, it depends on us, what we do with the circumstance around us. Things do happen all the time. That is not important. What is important is what we do about it. And we have not done anything about it. We have not addressed this uh, uh, mindset at all. And it keeps on, uh, uh, what you call them, uh, manifesting in various ways. Uh, relationships between individuals and groups are dysfunctional. Uh, good deeds are invariably done when there's uh, you, you, you know when there's no profit cruelty is the order of the day anger is rampant uh, hate between individuals tribes and races is engulfing our society bad blood between employers and employees political parties are becoming enemies instead of uh, becoming uh, rivals and then uh, within political parties themselves, there is mutual blame between individuals, cliques and factions, not least uh, within my own party, degenerating into hate and sometimes killings. Workers focus on what they can get rather than on productivity. Em- employers facing uh, are focusing on, a, on, on, on profits rather than on benefits and wellness for their workers. Ignorance and mediocrity have become areas of, of comfort. Parents ignore their 
the expectations of their children in favor of television. All and these all is, of that is because we haven't dealt with the trauma of apartheid. We haven't dealt with it. And uh, we've got, I mean, our mindset is characterized by a blaming mode of thinking. We blame other things, we blame other people in ta- instead of taking responsibility for what happens to us. And we can continue blaming and, and they're using excuses about everything. Even apartheid, using apartheid as an excuse. I mean, it's, it's, it's not on. You, mm. you, you can't blame anything in your life. You must take responsibility. But uh, that needs a program to change our mindset. You cannot just change it. And papers can be written. I mm. know many people have written papers, but papers uh, are okay. It's all very well to have papers, but you must use those papers to draw up programs to engage people physically. Professor Nell, now I can understand how you would take individuals or even small groups of people and, you know, work with them. But how do you do this for an entire nation? Um, I think uh, the restorative justice framework is an interesting one to tap into, and that's exactly what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was about as well. And certainly experts in the field of restorative justice uh, internationally would often refer to the South African TRC as a model of good practice. And I think um, we get more accolades for the TRC and what it achieved um, outside of our country than what we often would grant it ourselves. And I think perhaps our um, criticism um, of the TRC and how it was managed, um, uh, of course, there's some merit in that criticism. But at the same time, that was an experiment at a, a macro level, so to speak, where the storytelling of individual victims was actually meant to be also symbolic of storytelling of our society at a larger level. Clearly, it was impossible to deal with each and every individual incident of of trauma that occurred. But on the one hand, the way that it was set up, where victims could speak uncensored, where they could lash out in terms of their anger, their frustration, their hurt, their pain, um, could give meaning to the loss that they had while there was an audience that was captive, that listened, that was forced to listen, and not everyone did listen because many people would simply turn off, uh, turn um, away from whatever what that storytelling um, that occurred. We also know that, of course, in many instances, it brought up a defensiveness by an audience who... Uh, on the other side, was worried about what the consequences would be if the truth, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, mm-hmm. if the truth were to come out uh, around some of these atrocities, and whether there would be a vindictive um, kind of a response. So we know that the truth, so to speak, did not always come out, and to the extent that it shouldn't, the powers that be of the, that time period did not necessarily acknowledge their contribution. So, so often people who were at that interface, the police for instance, uh, who were seen to be uh, mechanisms of the oppressive state, um, were really very, very frightful. And I, I, when I say that I, I know it because I was a, a police psychologist um, during that, those early days of the formation of our democracy and 
certainly what it installed in many police officials is a post-traumatic stress response, one of feeling blamed, feeling forgotten by the government that they were serving, really feeling vulnerable about what the consequences of all this would be for them. But did they feel guilty at all? I think in many instances, yes. But again, if it's not a guilt that is processed, if it's not a guilt that is given free reign, so to speak, if there's not a platform in which the guilt can be acknowledged, um, of course we know that often we repress um, either the feelings of trauma or we repress that feelings of being to blame for what needed to happen. And it's, it's that process around the storytelling and the acknowledgement of the trauma um, doesn't run its course. We perhaps sometimes get a hardening of attitudes. And I would uh, agree with what Seth um, is saying as well as um, the other speaker around um, that it's an unfinished process. We do have lots of unfinished business. Okay. Um, um, I want to open the lines at this point, 891 We're in conversation with Professor Seth Cooper, also Professor Juan Nell, as well as uh, Mr. Mike Muendane this morning. And the question we are asking you is, have we as South Africans dealt with the trauma of apartheid? And I'd love to hear from you. You know, uh, today in 2014, when you think of the oppressive apartheid system, does it still evoke any sort of emotion in you? And if so, what sort of emotions are those? Also, if you think you have a solution of something that the nation could embark on to try and move us forward from this point, I'd love to hear from you as well. So let's get to it. Admire and Durban, good morning. Admire? Yeah, I really, really know. Um, I couldn't agree more with, um, I think you said, um, um, uh, the last speaker. Uh, is Mr. What? Mr. Ma Andabo or something? Mwendani. I, I, I just couldn't. Uh, yes. I just couldn't agree more with him. You know because I really, really um, I think that you know uh, from the time you know the TRC was done, I think that was actually a very, very positive step. And uh, obviously now we can say that you no, know, maybe there wasn't much truth uh, which came, but it was really, really the positive step and the right thing to do at that time. And 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 the, the only problem that uh, that is happening now is that from that time. We haven't really, really moved away from because if if you look at um, like the number of service uh, protests that are happening in the country, you find that whenever there is something that is going wrong, our political figures, unfortunately, will always look to blame the apartheid. That you know, we cannot solve this in this number of time, in this number of years, because this was so was like rooted in the apartheid. But if we really, really look at it, if we had actually just grasped the um, uh, the, the ideology of having competent people from the way go in, in critical ministerial posts. I'm telling you, right now we will have gone far. For example, if we had actually changed our educational system from the way go, because everything that is happening now is rooted in our educational system. If we can only change that from the, from after the childhood, I mean, um, uh, the childhood um, uh, grassroots, because uh, previously, we have black I may know because I don't really usually like to call you know to uh, to refer to some other uh, fellow Africans as white black and stuff. Mm. We are all South Africans, but okay. at the moment we still we still having um a, 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 even even uh, the media that still uses terms like that. And um, I know I think you had another guest last week who was actually talking about that we should do away with those things. So okay. really, really, I don't think the government actually 
I blame the government more than anything else here. Thank you so much, Admire. Uh, Nicholas in Denver, what do you have to say? Good morning, fellow South African and Sakina in studio and your, uh, your guest. Uh, I would say um, we as youth have changed a lot uh, because we grew, uh, we grew up in a democracy. Uh, the thing with uh, racism is with the elders yeah, in South Africa. They are the ones who, who, who got through the oppression of apartheid, and uh, I think the solution would be uh, uh, from our elders who start changing uh, their thoughts of apartheid. Interesting. Thank you so much, uh, Nicholas, out in Denver. Let's take uh, Noma Russia from the Kulumani Support Group. Good morning. Okay, Noma Russia, not quite there. Let's speak to Charles in Neisner. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. I've just one um, comment to make. No one seems to bring up the fact that the post-apartheid period and the pre, just before the ending of it, a lot of the, the black people that were breaking boycotts were also punished, tire burnings, etc., etc. And that punishment, it didn't seem to have stopped. We're still doing it. We're still burning um, our, our structures down. We're still punishing the people that don't agree with us. That hasn't stopped, and that is not apartheid. That might be a consequence of apartheid, but that hasn't stopped. We need leadership. We need strong leadership to show this is not the way to solve the problem. That's my comment. Okay, thank you so much, Charles. Okay. And, of course, uh, the question of whether that traumatic past and our ability or inability to have dealt with that is impacting on how we express ourselves today. The question we are asking is, have we as South Africans dealt with the trauma of apartheid? Now, our listeners made some very interesting inputs here, and I just want our panel to respond to this before we go back uh, to the lines and also read some messages. I want to start off with um, what uh, Nicholas was saying, and I'm going to put this to you, Mike. Nicholas, uh, Nicholas was essentially saying, He's a young person, and this is a problem of older people and older generation. Are we burdening our youth today with our baggage from apartheid? When I come out of my mother's womb, Sakina, what, uh, what am I having? I've got nothing. I have no information, no sense of values, no belief systems, no rules, nothing. I just come in, and I've got to learn my things from the adults that I find on this earth. Now, what do the adults teach me? They teach me that the television is more important than me. When I want to engage with them, my mom or my father is busy watching Generations. And she wants to know what Gamla is going to say. And I come in right at that time. She stops me from talking. So there's no communication that takes place. So children are destitute in terms of information. They they don't have any information. They don't have any coping skills because they have no sense of values whatsoever. And they can't pass judgment. So they remain dependent right up to teenage level, right up to adulthood. They remain dependent. And and dependent people uh, are uh, typically uh, uh, blaming things. Because they depend on you. If you don't deliver, then they will blame you. And if, if their, their, friends, their friend does not deliver, they will blame that friend. If the employer does not deliver, they blame the employer. If the government does not deliver, they'll, they'll blame the government. So our children, this time of our era, are growing up 
uh, under uh, no knowledgelessness. They grow up under a, a, a system of values How is that, that is dysfunctional. When we are in the information is, age, information is more readily available today than it ever has been. You can have books, you can have the internet, but you must be told of the value of books. You must be told of the values of the, of the internet. But who tells our children about the value of books? Our schools themselves, our teachers. I'm sorry to, to say this. I, sh- I should not be sorry, actually. Our teachers are mediocre. Most of our teachers are mediocre. They are only concerned about their paychecks. Teachers who go on strike when children have got to be taught, what kind of teachers are those? We must yes with the rights. We must reflect upon these things. And if we don't reflect upon these things, and reflecting simply means we must ask questions about what is happening. We must ask questions about the behavior of our teachers. We must ask questions about the behavior of our parents. We must ask questions about the behavior of our ministers and, and MPs and political parties and everyone else. If we don't, we will die like frogs. A frog you is put in a in in, 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 in a pot of water. And the, and, the, and the pot is, is placed on a hot stove and it starts boiling. The frog never realizes that this thing is going to, pop, to boil up to a point when it dies. Because it does not question, it just feels uh, the, the, the uh, temperature as even all the time until it actually dies. Now, if we don't reflect, we'll be like frogs. So you're saying that's what's going to happen to our youth? That's what's going to happen oh, to okay. our nation. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I want to stop you there because I just want to put uh, Charles's question to Professor Cooper as well. Uh, the issue of violence that uh, we still see, uh, it's almost become normative in our society. Necklacing, all of those uh, remnants from the past that we still see today. I mean, surely those must have been traumatic experiences uh, to those who were fortunate or maybe unfortunate enough to survive it. And those who witnessed these sorts of incidents, Dr. Uh, Professor Cooper. I think that uh, there are major features of South African society, and I think we we have dealt with the positive. The positive is there, and that's our backdrop. But chilling underneath that surface are the reminders of the past that we have not managed to exercise from our minds in many ways. So whilst... uh, caller from Denver, Nichols, has pointed to adults contaminating uh, young people, uh, and in many respects, correctly so, I think we also need to acknowledge that we have rising levels of anger, frustration, the blame that Mike uh, adequately has uh, described is there. So if we look at any of these they represent an aspect of our society, uh, good and bad, but it's not the full explanation of what is going on in our society. So that alone should give us reason to pause and look at our society, reflect, as Joanna has pointed out, we need to reflect on these issues in order that we can come up with viable solutions, and you asked right at the beginning, and you continue asking your listeners, what are possible solutions? So let's move to that level now, uh, lest we continue to blame victims, because I want to just say that most of us out there uh, are 
victims of our past. We don't need to be to be imprisoned by that past. We need to free our minds from whatever memories are taking us backwards. In order to do that, I think we have a wonderful opportunity to look at education from its very formative levels and change the content, change the methodology of taking those messages through in, into a different format. Young people, I think we, we're not giving them enough credit because they are so networked. You know, we think they're not communicating. They sit there, engage with their devices and so on, but they are communicating. In fact, I think they're communicating more than we as adults are communicating in the society, and they are more with it. That's why when they call a protest, so many people come out. That is why you have a youth phenomenon like the EFF capturing, uh, what is it, 7% of the vote, and it's likely to rise with the disaffected young people out there because their message is getting to where it wants to go. The rest of us may think whatever we want to about it, but that's the craziness that is inherent in our society. Some of these things are so uh, bizarre that we need to pause and say, how do we locate these things? So what we do need is we need uh, a space where those of us in civil society can start engaging with policymakers, those that are intelligent enough to understand that there are people out there who want to participate in making change because the big uh, issue that has emerged during the Mbeki years and it seems to continue during the Zuma years is ask not what you can do but we will do for you. So the dependency levels, the lack of engagement intellectually is pronounced because we don't have those spaces. Those spaces where Mike used to hold forth in the, in the late 80s, early 90s where we had those debates, all of that is taken away. We instead are focusing on what the big man says, what the big woman says out there. And mm. really, that's banal, it's mediocre to a frightening extent. We actually, and, and young people are turning away rightly from that. So we now have a crisis of confidence in ourselves, which we need to breach. We need to breach that through realistic programs at every level, the kinds of things the Mikes, the Juans, all of us are doing, we need to be able to connect the dots and make an impact, say to uh, uh, Parliament, say to government, say to media, look at what we are doing, the changes we are, we are bringing amongst ourselves. And I must say this on behalf of psychology. Psychology was deeply etched in the apartheid ethic. Once the apartheid system came into being, within uh, two months, the, psychological, the South African Psychological Association was formed in Bloemfontein. Now, Joan pointed out right at the beginning that the, uh, the CISA, the Psychological Society of South Africa, was formed months before our democracy came into being. Very significant. And we're the first professional grouping in the country to engage with each other in the early 90s and create a non-racial, non-sexist uh, organization. We've had our own traumas, but we've overcome them. We've had breakaways from mm. uh, right-wing groups and so on. But now if you visit our uh, activities, you see South Africa at its best. You see uh, a veritable young 
through to older generation, engaging, grappling with the issues. But now we need applications, we need spaces where we can, uh, we can start putting into practice those okay. things that we are achieving amongst ourselves. All right. I need to go to the calls now. Uh, before I do, let me just read a few SMSs. Uh, this one says, uh, our government had introduced the TRC as a healing of the wounds uh, caused by the apartheid regime. That's from Namedi. Uh, Elliot in Vidbank says, commodification, things as basic as access to proper recreational facilities remain uh, the preserve of a certain race and class. And um, uh, Rababi Godfrey and the Val says, for as long as the ruling party still uses apartheid as an excuse, as far as development is concerned, we're probably not going to move forward. But let's go to Noma Rashia from Kulumani Support Group. Good morning. Morning. I am very happy that you came up with this topic. Uh, as from Kulumani Support Group, we've been engaged with the healing processes right from the time of the TRC. The TRC was introduced, and then it was the starting point of the process of mm, engaging with the victims, with the perpetrators, to start the process of a healing. The problem is that it came when it was just given a limited time of three years, and if it closed, then you must understand that in order we can go forward with the issue of healing and rebuilding, and with the issue of the reconciliation, we need to take this process to continue. Then South Africa, I can say South African government, even if those people are saying that we must not blame whatever, but left the unfinished business. And then Kulumane continued with the issue of healing on the, on the side of the doing the storytelling and making the victims themselves to be able to come up with the ways of how they can be healed. Taking from the from the TRC recommendations, which were not implemented by our government when it was sent to Parliament. Even today, we are issues of social, economic, uh, political, and cultural justice, mm-hmm. which can be brought back the issue of reconciliation. If we cannot know the history, how can you move forward? If your, your son or your, 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 your daughter will ask you, there is this call of reconciliation, there is this call of forgiveness, how are you going to explain if you don't want to, to tell the story? And you say, how did you, how did you move forward? Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Noma Russia. Um, this tweet here from SA Glenn says, we can't deal with the past. The ANC leadership needs psychotherapy. They are the ones keeping apartheid and the past alive. The ANC leadership must change their mindset first, and then the masses will follow suit. The ANC has divided our society. They refer to black people as our people, and the whites are excluded from the struggle. Thanks to the ANC, apartheid is alive and well in the minds of South Africa. That's from Glenn. And then Claire Duplessis says, 
says, we are not healed, we are not reconciled, and uh, we are not a rainbow nation. Our first government entrenched the divisions by making the great colonial powers to account for, example, people of mixed descent and who struggle with identity issues, and some South Africans do not acknowledge each other's rights of being part of the South African people. Colored was a label given to a group of people who represented um, the shame of the colonialists. They are not a nation. We need to deal with trauma of people who almost all carry European slave or indigenous surnames, but who are marginalized by all heritage and other kinds of interventions to assist them with their struggles of identity, disempowerment, marginalization, etc. That's Claire Duplessis in uh, Mossel Bay, and I'm going to note that one for another discussion. But let's go back to the line. Silo and Alspreet, good morning. Uh, thank, you very, thank you very much for taking my call. Um, I also want to join on the discussion, but let me start by saying uh, it's important that we thank the African National Congress for doing away with a government which was created to serve minority and from to that serves all South Africans. But we must also congratulate the Pan-Africanist Congress, for the BCM, and all the MDM structures which was led by the ANC and the Alliance. Let me go, come back to the issue. Of course, we have not yet dealt with the trauma of apartheid because the TRC was given a very small space of time to deal with these matters. And by the time when the TRC was established, We didn't have these many tools of communication to reach out to to all the people of South Africa who have been affected by apartheid. There are individuals who have killed people, buried them on shallow graves, leveled above so that you cannot recognize what is underneath. If we were able to re-establish the claims, the land claims process, we can still come back with the second phase of the TRC. We're not going to go on if we don't know if there are people who are still unaccounted for. It's important that we need to deal with this trauma once and for all. It will take 100 years if we don't don't deal with the issues that I have raised. It's very important. We need to deal with those particular things. Another thing, in conclusion, and I am underlining my input, we will not be free, the trauma of apartheid will not be dealt with as long as our people are still staying in squalors, as long as our people are still unemployed, as long as our people are still living in the poverty that they have experienced for many years. Of course, the African National Congress has delivered a number of uh, uh, houses, there's a roof above people's heads, there's water and other things, but much still needs to be done. As okay. long as we're still got seeing you. the signs of inequality, All the right. trauma will not disappear. We got you there, Salo and Alfred. Thank you so much. George and Claremont. Hello. Hello, George. Hello, Sakina. Uh, I'd like to say the trauma of apartheid has been exacerbated by an economic system, a financial system, a banking system that is failing our people in this country and throughout the world. And this is because it's a financial system that's based on debt, interest, fractional reserve banking, and perpetual growth. And this is not possible on a finite planet, you know, where there's a, a, a limits to natural resources like crude oil, and we are seeing uh, the world economic growth faltering at the moment because a lack of cheap oil. 
And we need to look at uh, uh, economic system that goes beyond just the, you know, the normal debate of socialism versus capitalism. We need to look for uh, reform in the financial system that promotes a steady state economy. We have to look for new solutions, new thinking. And we've got an abundance of solar uh, resources in this country in terms of sunshine and renewable potential for renewable mm-hmm. energy. And we need to harness everything to, to develop a country in that direction. Okay, thank you so much, uh, George. We have to wrap it up. Let me start with you, Professor Nell. Um, I'm going to give each of you just one minute to wrap it up. Just from the Psychological Society of South Africa side to say that um, in line with our strategic review to force 2014 to 2018, we commit ourselves to a new South Africa, an inclusive South Africa, and a society that is responsive uh, to the needs. And in that regard, I want to say that Youth Day, Freedom Day, Human Rights Day, so many of these days that have been put in place to um, uh, deal with some of these memories of the past and the very important moments can be uh, dealt with in in a way that takes us forward if it's done in a non-party political, in a more neutral kind of a way, where the storytelling, where the memory um, uh, recognition can happen in a way that is facilitated. So if our society can play a role in that, we commit ourselves to do so. And thank you for a program like this, um, yours, Sakina, that is not sensationalizing an issue, but, but utilizing a platform to be educational. We need more of that, less of the sensational and more of the educational. And thank you for, for the platform. Thank you for your time, uh, Professor Nell. Uh, Mike? Yeah, uh, we deal mostly with uh, inanimate things outside ourselves. It is a human being that you must deal with. Uh, give them uh, give the human being coping skills. What stands between us and the circumstances around us that we can change them is the ego. And the ego is about, the, uh, is about insulation. I'm insulated from you. I think only of myself. Now, what should replace the ego is love. Love simply means that I am with you. I, am, I have affinity with you. We are the same. We are not just different. In fact, we are one thing. That is spirituality. So we must make a difference between materiality and spirituality. Spirituality gives you responsibility and materiality gives you blame. You are going to blame. And as long as we blame each other, look at the SMSs that you've just read. All of them are blaming. None of them is taking responsibility and saying, I am going to do this. So individuals must be given a program. There must be a program that instills this. And there is a program. I've been implementing this kind of program for for, for the last 20 years. But let me say, because there's no time, those people who are interested in this program must uh, contact me on mic at soultalk.co.za. Professor Cooper? We need to collectively start working for a better educational system that espouses excellence, not exclusion and making excuses for ourselves. The war within we can effectively deal with when these issues are opened up. We need to actually enable young people to find spaces and meaningfully to be engaged in jobs and so on. Uh, Our nation is struggling to be born. Let's all play our role in forging that nation that all of us 
seriously desire. And I must say thanks to our guests this morning, our panel, as well as to our listeners. And uh, Sipo Mango says thanks for bringing this topic, as does many others. So uh, we, we're glad that you appreciate that. And um, also, you know, we, we, we will push forward. Adam Bukhatsu says we need a more inclusive TRC, one where people can speak for themselves and not a panel of experts. That's where we're going to leave it. And it's now one minute after nine. Time for news with Vibakshni Chetty.